right, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 20 tonight. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. It's only nine verses. We have a short chapter. And if you remember from the previous weeks, what we've been seeing as we've been going through these chapters is the land is subdued. And uh, Joshua tells them, go look out through the land, uh, find the borders, claim your inheritance. It's there. It's ready to go. And so what we've seen is how the land was divided up to all the tribes. Uh, and so it was very important, though. We still have the Levites who don't have an inheritance necessarily, but they do need a place to live. They need, a, they need cities to dwell in because they have to do the work of the Lord. And so this is kind of where we see a little bit uh, about what they do and specifically uh, where the cities of refuge are specifically mentioned. Something that was they were told 40 years before when they got, went into the land, they were supposed to have these cities of refuge. And so we're going to read through this chapter and then talk about uh, these cities of refuge because I think they're pretty interesting. But it says in uh, chapter 20, verse 1, The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee unto one of the, those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the years of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest and that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come into his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. And they appointed... Uh, Kadesh in Galilee and Mount Naphtali and Shechem and Mount Ephraim and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side, Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth and Gilead out of the tribe of Gad and Golan and Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. So now that Israel is in this land, it's time for them to start you know, doing some of the things that God commanded them to do 40 years earlier. You know, and now that they have the land, a greater responsibility is on them. And this is just kind of a side note. But one of the reasons a vast majority of Jews today do not want the land, and that's something a lot of people don't realize, most Jews today are not interested in the land conflict over in Israel. It's just those Orthodox ones that are a small minority. It's just the Zionist ones that are a small minority. One of the reasons they don't want the land is because technically if they get it, they have to start doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. One of the reasons they're, you know, they... Their excuse for not doing the sacrifices and keeping all these laws and all these feasts and everything and doing their weird, you know, watered down micro versions of it is because of the fact they don't have the land. And so if they get it, they get the Temple Mount, technically they have to do all these things. And, you know, and it's a lot of work. And the Jews like how easy things are over here. Technically, too, 
if they were really going to start following the word of God, they would need to move back to Israel too. And they don't want to do that either because they like it over here. So, um, but you know, here back then they weren't like that. They were God's people during this time. And there were many, while even not all of them back then who wanted to serve the Lord, they wanted to do what they were supposed to do. And so the land's there and quite often God would tell them to do things. You know, he was going to do, he was going to do a work. He was going to give them land or whatever. He was going to restore them to the land. Like when they were in the Babylonian captivity, so they could rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple and God would give them an opportunity. And then they would just kind of sit around and do nothing. That was kind of how they've been throughout their history. And so, you know, the Lord is reminding them here that, hey, it's time, you know, Joshua, don't forget those cities of refuge. This was in the law. This was something I told Moses to do. You've got the land, and now let's get busy. So turn over to Numbers 35, because in verse 2 is where we see God reminding Joshua of what he had spoken to Moses about on this subject. So it's, I think it's really important that we go back and look at what uh, God had said to Moses. And so in Numbers 35, in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give unto the Levites of the inheritance of their possession cities to dwell in, and you shall give also unto the Levites suburbs for the cities round about them. And the cities that they have to dwell in and the suburbs of them shall be for their cattle, for their goods, and for all their beasts. And the suburbs of the cities which you shall give unto the Levites shall reach from the wall of the city and outward a thousand cubits round about. And you shall measure from without the city on the east side 2,000 cubits and on the south side 2,000 cubits and on the west side 2,000 cubits and on the north side 2,000 cubits. And the city shall be in the midst this shall be to them the suburbs of the city. So the Levites said they didn't have that you know, inheritance like the rest of the tribes did, but they did have families, they had lives they needed to live, and they had a work that they needed to do on behalf of all the tribes. And so in every one of the tribes' inheritances, they had sections for the Levites assigned for them because the Levites would dwell among them. And then that way too, they don't all have to go to Jerusalem anytime anything needs to be done, anytime they need to make some kind of offering or sacrifice. And there were some things like the Feast of Tabernacles where everybody's supposed to go to Jerusalem. But there were a lot of daily things, weekly things that they would do. Uh, just a lot of different customs that they had, circumcising the child on the eighth day. So they needed Levites dwelling among them, just kind of like we don't just have one central church, do we? We have local churches, you know, all over. And that it, they needed the same type of thing back then. And so, uh, they, you know, all the tribes assigned different areas for them. And so, uh, verse 6 says, And among the, tr- of the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge, which ye shall appoint for the manslayer, that he may flee thither, and to them ye shall add 42 cities. So six cities that the Levites were responsible, that they, uh, that they took care of, that they lived in, that they were in charge of. Six of those cities that were kind of spread out throughout Israel were places that people knew that if something happens and if I kill somebody by accident, I can run to these cities and I can be safe until I'm able to stand trial before the congregation uh, because, you know, that's a whole lot better than jail, for one. 
And we don't see him having prisons and things in the Bible. But we also, it's also a good thing too because of the fact that when you kill someone, typically people want to kill you back, don't they? And understand, this is something too that, you know, in America where we're so passive about everything, we slap everybody on the wrist for everything, we need to understand back then, and it's been this way most of the world through most of history, when you kill someone, you die. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, we live in America. We have perverted, we have devalued life probably as much as any country ever in the fact that we don't put people to death for murder. We, and, and then we act like we're valuing life because we're not going to kill them. No, you're just showing you don't value the life that was taken when you, when you don't do that. We also are a country, too, that aborts babies. We don't even think, you know, beating hearts... You know, that have limbs and eyes and noses and ears that we, we don't think that those are even lives and we kill those. And understand, when, you, when innocent blood is shed, the land is defiled. We'll see some scripture on that in a little bit. But the land is defiled. We bring a curse on our land when blood is shed and we do not answer that with blood. That is so important that we understand this. And again, America... We've just been racking up judgment for so long. And, and I'm telling you, if people could see what's coming for this country and the judgment that is on our way, they would think God is just so terrible. But no, folks, I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like for this country when we finally get what's coming to us because of all the blood that has been shed and it has not been answered for. We have not shed blood like we're supposed to. We have not killed a murder. And so understand back then, everybody understood this. And... If you, and so if you did, you kill somebody, somebody's looking for your life. Somebody's looking to come kill you. But you got to understand, often if you accidentally kill somebody and it's just you and that person, you know it was an accident. You know it was unintentional, but they don't know that. You know, the grieving family doesn't know that. And so, you know, you need to understand that, hey, I need, I'm, you, you might need to hide. You might need something to do otherwise what might happen to you and you know what you're gonna have to forgive me if i just get a little caught up in current events tonight you know this is kind of appropriate but you know when you have to kill somebody maybe do for self-defense you might have an angry mob chasing after you and beating you with their skateboards and stuff and you know and you know sadly you know kenosha wisconsin was such a lawless hellhole that night where all the authorities abandoned the people of that town they failed to do what they were supposed to do and when you have a young man trying to run for refuge, not only can he not find refuge, but when he finally does find refuge and get to the authorities, they tell him to get out of there and put him in even more danger. But, you know, you got to understand, you know, sometimes when people get killed, there is an angry mob that comes and sometimes it's just, or they, in their mind, they think it's justified, but it's not. They don't know the situation. They don't know what's going on but they're upset, they're emotional, and they're angry. And so if you're that person that accidentally killed somebody, you need a place to go hide. You need a place to go run to. And so that's what these cities were for. And in these cities, you know, the Levites were in charge. Everyone knew those were cities of refuge. So everybody knew you don't chase a guy in there. You know, this, you, you don't get to go after somebody. Everybody knew how important that was. It's kind of like even in our country today, we have, um, what do they call those where other countries own the land? embassies right embassies and you know our country 
And other, we're supposed to uh, respect the sovereignty of that land there. And we're not supposed to be going in there and enforcing our laws on them because technically that's, you know, Chinese territory or whatever. And we've got places like that in other countries too. And, you know, and if you have civilized, law-abiding people, they take those things serious. And so they had things like that back then that, hey, you get to that city because you kill somebody, people are, come, people are going to be looking to shed blood. You've got, you know, sad family that's sad. You've got people who don't want their land defiled. And they might, they might act quickly. So I think this was a great thing that they had. I think this was a good idea, a lot of great things about it. And so it says, and among, in verse 6, <clears throat> And among these cities, which you shall give to Levites, there should be six cities for refuge, which you may appoint for the manslayer. Uh, well, I already read that verse. So verse 7 says, And all the cities which you shall give to the Levites shall be forty and eight cities, them shall ye give with their suburbs. And the cities which ye shall give shall be of a possession unto the children of Israel from them that have uh, many, ye may give many, but them that have few, ye shall give few. Everyone shall give of his cities unto the Levites according to his inheritance which he inherited. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye become over Jordan in the land of Canaan, then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person and unaware. So, understand, this is not a place for someone who intentionally murders somebody. But it is for someone who, you know, had a fatal accident. And, man, because, you know, here's the thing, too, and we're not going to go into all the examples of this, but even manslaughter could sometimes get you executed, too. If you were negligent, if you did something that was just really stupid and irresponsible, and it cost someone their life, for example... Um, you know, if you had an ox that was, you know, known to be aggressive and to push and times pass, and then it was to gore somebody and kill them, you were responsible for that and you could be put to death for that. So, it, you know, it's not really, you know, we wouldn't call that murder today, but we call it manslaughter because, you know, you knew you had a dangerous animal there and you didn't do what you needed to do to keep it protected and to keep people safe. And so you're responsible for what it does. So, uh, understand, but in a, case, in a case of manslaughter, the city of refuge probably would be a good place you could run to just in case it was questionable, the situation, whether or not you were negligent or not. But then you could at least go there, you know, where you could be safe physically, where you could have some cool heads that could actually go look at the situation and judge it because it's a lot better that the Levites are judging it than the people that are from the tribe. So basically, the family. I mean, do you really want the family being the congregation to judge you in a situation like that? I mean, imagine if, you know, you know in the Rittenhouse trial that everybody's thinking about right now, if it was all family members of the, you know, the people he shot. That's probably not going to go real well for him. You know? And so, uh, understand that you know, when you live among your tribe, you're pretty much, you know, living among family. And I guess maybe they'd be your family members too. But it also mentions this for strangers too. So if you're a stranger and you accidentally do something to kill one of the children of Israel, I mean, it's going to be tough for you to get a fair trial there. So it'd be good to have these cities of refuge and a place you can run to 
where people are going to be, uh, you know, have, be impartial, and you might be able to have your life spared. So, uh, Deuteronomy 19.4 says, And this is the case of the slayer, which shall flee thither, that he may live. Whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he hated not in time past, as when a man goeth into the woods, so it's given an example, with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and live. So yeah, I mean, if, if somebody's cutting out a tree with his friend, and the axe head flies off and kills the guy, I mean, it's pretty obvious he didn't mean to do that. You know, that, and so... The guy doesn't need to die. He shouldn't die for what's been done. But at the same time, too, you know, if that axe head had kept slipping off over and over again, and again, you know, negligence, either way, somebody died. So, you know, there should be some kind of inquiry into this. But in case, you know, that family's just really mad and thinks they did it on purpose or whatever, you might need a place to go hide and a, and a place to find refuge. And so it says, lest the avenger of the blood... Pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. So that, that slayer of blood, that, that was somebody too who was kind of appointed. He was the guy who executed vengeance. We'll uh, see an example in the New Testament later where those people are still being talked about. But, you know, if you kill a person... It is a very serious matter, and even if it was an accident, we should look into it. You know, we should see if there was any negligence. We need to make sure that it wasn't intentional. I mean, a life is lost, and and we still do that in this country. Uh, you know, where we, um, you know, they they're going to look into these things. I mean, somebody lost their life. You know, you can't just say oh, it was an accident, and then oh, okay, we believe you, and then. You know, let it go. Otherwise, you know, we have situations where it looks like an accident. You know, it's like it's like you you know, you can't just automatically assume too these things are suicides. Especially, you know, I think they should investigate those. Especially if they used to work for the Clintons and they committed suicide. It's like you know, we should probably uh, investigate this and see. You know, a, a life has been lost. That's a serious thing. And so, uh, you know, when you're finding multiple gunshot wounds and, you know, body parts all over, you know, and they said it was suicide, you know, somebody probably should look into that and see if it really was suicide. But uh, anybody think of Epstein right now, you know, when, when it was a guy who could take down a bunch of people and all of a sudden he commits suicide, a guy who probably could have cut a deal with all the big names he could have taken down and he commits suicide, I think we should probably look into that. And, but, um, don't get me going on that stuff, but verse 12 of Deuteronomy 35 says, and they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger that the manslayer die not until he stand before the congregation in judgment. So again, this is to protect someone from that angry mob or angry, angry family member of a victim who might want to take vengeance themselves. And so verse 13 says, and of these cities which ye shall give six cities, shall ye have for refuge. Ye shall give three cities on this side Jordan, 
Three cities shall ye give in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be a refuge, both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. So, remember too, you know, if you kill somebody, you've got to flee there. You've got to get yourself there. You, know, you can't just, you know, automatically, you know, time out, I'm going there. No, you, you actually got to get there. That was an important thing. And so, just kind of a scenario to maybe help us understand too, you know, how it was back then and, you know, why these things were important, right? So, you know, I guess one, so imagine if, you know, me and my son, we were out hunting, you know, we're out deer hunting, all right? It's deer season right now. And while we're out hunting, somebody shot my son because they thought he was a deer. Okay. And you say that would never happen. Listen, when you go hunting, especially during shotgun season, they make you wear orange for a reason. When you're sitting in the woods looking for deer for hours and hours, everything looks like a deer. And, and it's happened before. Pe- you know, people have gotten shot. A uh, p- person just saw something move or they, they could see a little bit of them, thought it was a deer, and they shot and uh, sometimes killed people, seriously injured them. Now, if that happens, okay, and remember, back then especially, okay, you know, today our country is so weird and so messed up, you know, we are expected to get beat up, you know, even if we have a weapon, we're not expecting, you know, anytime you defend yourself, you have to shoot anybody, you're going to get in trouble no matter how justified it was. But understand back then it wasn't, it wasn't quite like that. So, you know, we're out in the woods, somebody shoots my son, I'm obviously going to be very enraged, even if it was an accident. And I mean, this guy killed my son, he needs, you know, he needs to die. I might want to go and then shoot that guy back and kill him. And he knows that. And the thing is, if I did he would probably, I would probably get away with it just because of the fact that I could prove he killed my son and I could claim, you know, I thought he was trying to kill me too, you know, and I mean, there's no reason I would have killed my son just so I had an excuse to kill him too. I'm probably going to get away with it. And, you know, and, and in a situation like that too, that probably would be a case that would be, you know, some kind of reckless manslaughter thing. He'd probably be put to death anyway, but maybe he was actually shooting at a deer at the time and it ricocheted off a tree and, you know, hit him or something. I don't, you know, who, who knows? But either way, if that guy feels like he's innocent and isn't worthy of death, you know, he is going to need to run from me and he's going to need a place to hide. And because he doesn't want me judging that situation. I lost my son. His life is in danger. And so that would be a good, you know, a good example of a time when somebody would need to run there. Another example too, you know, today, if we had them, you know, in a car accident, you know, sometimes there's car accidents. Uh, Sometimes things happen that are beyond our control and people get killed. And that's always a tragic thing when that happens. But the thing is, um, sometimes when there's car wrecks, People are being negligent. You know, if sometimes, you know, maybe they were texting while driving. Maybe they ran a stoplight. You know, some, maybe their tire blew out. You know, maybe something happened on their car. You know, but, the, but even if that happens, you know, did they know this car was falling apart? Did they know this vehicle wasn't fit to be on the road? We should look into all these things. But I can tell you right now, you know, if somebody goes and they kill my child while driving... They don't want me to be the one judging that situation, you know, and, uh, they might need, 
a place to hide, you know, until things until things get calmed down. So, I mean, I think stuff like this is really, uh, you know, it's a pretty good idea, you know, and especially, too, in our country where we're getting more of a mob rule going all the time. And that's kind of what we're seeing going, uh, going on. I think something like this would be good. And so, uh, verse 16 of Numbers 35 says, And if he smite him with an instrument of iron that he die, uh, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. If he smite him with throwing a stone, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he smite him with a hand weapon of wood, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. So if you do something to somebody that you know could kill them, even if you didn't intend to kill them, it counts. Okay. Now again, we're not looking at all the examples. Self-defense is also permitted in the Bible and is also biblical. I know uh, in the Rittenhouse case, one of the things the prosecutors make a big deal is like, well, you know, you shot that guy, therefore you wanted to kill him. And he was saying, well, I was just trying to stop him. Wasn't necessarily trying to kill him. But when you, it, it, but it, it is true. When you shoot somebody, you know it can kill them. And even if that wasn't necessarily your goal, if you shoot somebody and they die, then technically it should be murder unless it's self-defense. Okay. Obviously, and you know, you know, we got the video proof there. But at the same time, so if I, you know, if I hit you in the head with a baseball bat, well, I was just trying to knock you out. Yeah, but you know hitting somebody on the head with a baseball bat can kill them. So even if you just intended to knock them out, you know what? You're guilty of murder. And that's another thing, too, that television, you know, they, people are constantly getting hit over the head, breaking things over people's heads. You can, you can die very easily from a blow to the head. And so just, uh, you, know, you know, kids, it's, it's not funny. I know it's funny on TV. You know, the three students are constantly breaking things over people's heads. You know, they do it. And, and on television, they do that too, where they don't want to kill them. They just want to knock them out. And so they just hit them over the head. Don't hit people over the head. Okay. Don't hit people over the head. You can kill them. And that's what we're seeing right here. If you're doing things that you know can kill somebody and it kills them, then you're guilty of murder. So that's not a situation where, you know, you should run to the city of refuge. This is for people who did it unawares. This is for an accident. This isn't where the guy, he just hit somebody over the head because he's angry at him, hated him. Oh, I was just trying to knock him out. And then they run there. No, that's, that's not how that works. So all of those scenarios that we just read is where someone intentionally wanted to cause harm. And so even if death wasn't their goal, they're still a murderer. So verse 19 says, the revenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer. When he meeteth him, he shall slay him. And understand, it's not up to the mob to take care of these things. You know, I don't believe in uh, lynchings and the lynch mobs like they used to have back in the day where just a bunch of crazy people went and they go hang somebody. And even if that person deserved to be hung, you know, it's not up to an angry mob. That's not how these things ought to be done. You should have, they, they should get a trial. I mean, even back then, they had, you know, they had a right to a trial. We see, you know, they told him, you know, they let him stay in the city of refuge until he can stand before the congregation. Why? To be judged. To make sure this person is, in fact, worthy of death. And then, 
the person who is assigned to this can go kill him. Not just, not just anybody. It needs to be somebody who has been given that position. And that's a very important thing. That's what we see in Romans 13. In Romans 13, verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. This is New Testament. He wasn't going there to use that sword to wave it in their face. No, it was to kill them. That's what we see in the Old Testament. And this person who takes the sword and kills people, you know what the Bible calls him? For he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, he must needs be subject. We ought to listen to those people. We ought to be subject to them. Not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. You know what else we ought to do? We ought to pay taxes so we can pay those people. That's how important they are. For this cause, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. You know, if we had more of these Avengers of blood out there putting people to death for the things the Bible calls for. You know what we wouldn't have right now? We wouldn't have a Rittenhouse trial going on right now. Because those guys would have already been taken care of. I know the one guy was a pedophile. I forgot the other two did exactly if they were worthy of death or not. But, uh, I mean, what's that? Do you get put to death for communism? Oh, we can add that in there. But, no, no. But, uh, but, you know, but, you know, but either way, there wouldn't have been as much going on. Because uh, these were, these were uh, I mean, known evil people. And again, you know, if the government just took care of half the things the Bible told them to do, if the government did half the things God ordained government to do, we wouldn't have so many of the problems that we have in this country. But instead, we have the government doing everything God never wanted them to do, things God never even thought about government doing, and then we got pansy pastors out there saying, submit to that government based on Romans 13. No, that's not government. God didn't ordain that. God never gave them that authority. But you know what he did give them the authority to do is to put down people who kill the innocent. That's what he did. That's what he did give. And you know what? We ought to respect those people. You know what? Everybody wants to have these things where they bring in law enforcement and bring in the firemen and all that kind of stuff. I want to bring in the executioners and, you know, let's, let's start appreciating those people. But you know what? Who are those people? Where are they? We, we don't have too many of them. And if we do have one, he's really lame. It's going to be really lame. He's not going to have a sword. He's going to be some doctor that just injects fluids and things into people. And you know what? That's just not even cool. Uh, so we probably still won't even bring them in. But anyway, Numbers 3520 says, But if he thrust him of hatred or hurl at him, by lying of weight that he die, or an enmity smite him with his hand that he die. He that smote him shall surely be put to death, for he is a murderer. The revenger of blood shall slay the murderer when he meets him. So even just punching somebody, I mean, you know, you punch somebody, you can kill them. If you hit them just right, if they fall, hit their head. When you are trying to harm somebody and, and they die, even if death was not your goal, you're you're a murderer. And you're to be put to death. The city of refuge was not necessarily for you uh, in that situation. Clear intent to kill is automatic death. And it says, but if he thrust him suddenly without enmity 
or have cast upon him anything without laying of weight, or with any stone wherewith a man die, seeing him not, and cast it upon him that he die, and was not his enemy, neither sought his harm, uh, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these judgments. So, if it is a situation where there is an accident, the person might be worthy of death if they were negligent, if they were being reckless, but that's why we have to let them get before a congregation. That's why we've got to make sure we've got some cool heads there. We've got a place where they can run. We can give people a chance to calm down. Because in the heat of the moment, when there's a questionable situation, that is not the time to be dealing with things. And so having a city of refuge like this would be very good. So, he, uh, so um, you know, a person who accidentally kills somebody, you know, they need to get there quickly. Because, you know, friends and family, they don't really care when their loved one's killed. They want... They want vengeance. They want bloodshed. Verse 25, And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and he shall abide in it under the death of the high priest, which was anointed before the holy oil. So uh, notice how you know, even if you're not guilty of murder, you still had to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. So the Levites, they had the city, and it was their job to protect them. That guy who was the, uh, you know, the slayer, he wasn't allowed in that city. He was he wasn't able to go in there. And you know what? The people of the land they knew to respect this area, and you don't mess with people in there. Now, um, you know, when you stop and think about it, if if we had cities like this, I don't think there'd be that many people in them. I doubt these were like crowded with all these people that had just you know, done these accidental killings of people. I imagine it was, it was a pretty rare thing. But, you know, it was probably a very important thing for those who accidentally killed somebody. It was probably very important to them that they had something like this. But they, they had to stay there until the death of the high priest. After the high priest died, uh, they were free to leave. And it said, But it says in verse 26, But if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whither he was fled... And the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge. And the revenger of blood killed the slayer. He shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. So you can see why it's called a city of refuge. You're protected while in the city, but if you leave the city, it's fair game. I mean, if you want to leave there, you can, but that revenger of blood, uh, you know, he, he might be just some crazy guy thirsty for blood and that's why he wanted the job, but he knows better than to kill people unless they deserve it. So he's just, he's waiting, but you do, you go outside there, then tough luck, you know, you're, you're going to die. So verse 29, and one thing that's interesting too, that I was thinking about, you know, the fact that people were able to leave there after the death of the high priest, you know, it shows that obviously the people, the, the revenger, you know, they had to have some respect for law to leave them alone after that. But chances are, you know, depending on how old the high priest was at the time, you know, after some t- months passes, years pass, people will calm down and forget about it, you know. But 
Like, you know, right now, you know, if Kyle Rittenhouse gets out, you know, it's, it's not going to be safe for him to walk the streets for a while. You know, eventually, hopefully, you know, he'll change, grow a beard or something, you know, and, you know but it'll, it'll be safe for him because we do have a lawless country and people who do crazy things. But, you know, back then, um, you know, either way, though, as time goes on, it can kind of help heal a little bit. People calm down uh, once the news media has gotten bored with that story and moved on to other things. So verse um, 29 says, So these things shall be for a statute of judgment unto you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. So before anyone's put to death, you had to have very clear proof. And so there, and I think this is probably another reason for that city of refuge. Because, you know, sometimes you're pretty sure somebody's a murderer, but they weren't allowed to put somebody to death for just one witness. But in the case of one witness, then that's probably when they would say, all right, you got to go to the city of refuge because, you know, it, it, it's pretty sure he did. I don't think they would just let him get away with it if there was one witness, but they'd have to go to the city of refuge. And so, because sometimes, sometimes you're pretty sure the person is a murderer and you don't want him in society, but maybe you're just not sure enough that you're ready to kill him. And so, uh, that'd be another good reason to have a city of re refuge. But verse 31, this is important here. It says, Moreover, ye shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. Now, what's that talking about there? Taking satisfaction. Well, with other laws, you often had the ability to make up for things. You know, like if you stole, you could replay fourfold. And so now, I'm good. You know, yes, I did this. This was very wrong, but I've made it right. I gave fourfold. I've repaid. There's a lot of different laws like that in the Bible where if you just, you know, uh, reimburse somebody a certain way, if you did certain things, you could make up for whatever your transgression was. But they said when it comes to the shedding of blood, when it comes to someone's life, do not take any satisfaction for it. They die. And that's important because... I mean, what's more important than human life? You can't, any, any price they would have taken would have just cheapened human life. And the Bible understands how important human life is. And people often look at, the, look at the Bible and think, oh, you know, what a terrible book. Look at all the killing that's in there. A lot of that killing that's in there is because the Bible values life. It's, these are guilty people. These are bad people guilty of shedding blood. And so that's why they're doing this so it can stop the bloodshed. So it can, because if, if somebody, if blood's going to have to be shed, wouldn't it be better if it is the evil getting their blood shed than the innocent? Amen. So that's why we see so much of that in the Bible, because it's trying to save life. That's what it's all about. And if we, if we did, if, if, the, if our society put to death the people that the Bible says should be put to death, there would be so much less bloodshed. In, the, in this country. So much less bloodshed. But our country does not value human life and they prove it. They prove it with all their abortion and everything they do to just prevent life from coming into this world. It just proves that they don't value life and that's why 
we just put people in prison. And let me tell you another reason they put people, we want to put people in prison. You know why they want to put people in prison for life too? Is because prison is also a money-making thing. Right? And that's another subject for another day. But they need, our, there are people out there and they are in our government and people in different fields and industries. Think they need a prison population. They need it. Just like our government needs a welfare class. They need that. They don't, if the welfare class ever went away, too many people would lose their power. And so we will always have a welfare class. They are creating it and they're doing everything they can to expand it and enlarge it every day because it helps give them power. And you know what? It ends up hurting the people like us who work for a living, who are trying to do the right thing. You know, we're not in that elite upper class. You know, we're those working class people. And we're the ones that suffer because of that stuff. And all that does, all the welfare class does, the prison population, all these things, it gives these people in high places more power. And so, understand, prison doesn't make sense. You know, you don't, you're not going to reform. It's not about reforming people. You're putting them in there for life. So, you're not, you're not fixing them. So, get rid of them. But you know what? There's no money in that. And that's what, it's, that's what it all comes down to. It's all, it's all about the money. When you see our government doing things that doesn't make any sense, all right, just follow the money and you'll find out why they're doing these things. So, verse 32 says, And ye shall take no satisfaction for him that has fled to the city of refuge, that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the priest. Because this is still a situation where someone lost their life. And so even if it wasn't murder, you know, he has to follow the rules. He has to stay there until the death of the high priest. And he can't go and say, listen, I'm really rich. I'm going to pay you all this money. I'm going to do all this community service, whatever. And then I can go ahead and I can go back in the land. I can go to my possession. No, that's not how it worked. Because this was still about a life. And so no, a life was lost, you know, it was an accident. You don't deserve to die, but we are not going to devalue this life and let you pay us something so you can go back to your inheritance, you go back to that city of refuge, and you stay there till the death of the high priest. So even if a death is ruled an accident, you can't pay for it. It only cheapens life. So verse 33 says, So shall ye not pollute the land. So this is why we do these things. So we will not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood... It defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. So, folks, do you understand what we are doing to our country when we just allow blood to be shed and it's not answered for by the blood of those who shed that blood? It is wicked. It is evil. It is dangerous. That we do not put, and you know what? I don't believe in torture either. I, I think, you know, I don't think we ought to just put, you know, lock people up like animals for the rest of their life. Just listen, they took a life, just put them down, like the Bible says. Let their blood be shed so we can cleanse our land. And that's the only way we can cleanse it is if they will be put down. This goes all the way back to Genesis 9 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's what God instituted there after Noah's flood. Numbers and, and you know what? 
there was death penalty even before Noah's flood. We, we saw that when we were going through Genesis when Cain knew when he killed his brother Abel, he's like, everyone that finds me is going to want to kill me. Why? Because everybody knows it's life for life. You can't do something like taking a life and just get away with it. That's not, that's not right. So he says, Defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. So any land that does not practice the shedding of blood for the shedding of blood is a land that is greatly defiled. And you know what? That fact, it ought to sober us up when it comes to our nation. Let me tell you something. When you, when you just stop and you think for five minutes about all the blood that has been shed in this country that has not been dealt with, and you start to get a picture in your mind of how defiled our land is, you know what? You should expect literally anything to happen in this country. And we got nothing to cry about. We get wiped out by a tsunami, earthquake, plague, army, whatever it is. Folks, when it happens, even if it's not tribulation stuff, you know, the tribulation, if it's just God judging this country, and you know what? We have to, we suffer too. That's what happens when you live in a land that is polluted and defiled as this one is. Listen, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be spared when you live in a polluted land. You know, you go, you, you live in a, a, a literally polluted city with smog and all that kind of junk, you're going to get sick and cancer just like everybody else. And you know, when you live in a land like this where there's nothing is done, man, you might you know, get caught in the crossfire with some pretty serious judgment. And when that happens, you know what? I'm not going to get mad at God if that happens. The last thing we ought to do if our country suffers some, you know, something horrible, a nuke or something like that, the last thing any of us Christians ought to be saying is why. If we ought to be saying why about anything, it's just like, why hasn't it happened yet? That's what we should be saying. And I don't want it to happen. I, I don't want it to happen. But folks, there is no way you can pollute the land as much as we have and something horrible not happen. And so... It's going to come eventually. I'm just, I'm just hoping God's saving it for His wrath in the end when we're gone. But He might not. And if He, and if He does, if God decides, you know what, I'm going to let America get what's coming to it. I say so be it. I say so be it. We'll go to heaven. It's all right. So the spiritual significance of the cities of refuge too. You know, and there's probably a lot of different opinions out there on this. You know, and it's, it's one of those things. The Bible. You know, it's like this with a lot of things in the Old Testament, the law, the things of the temple. The Bible doesn't flat out tell us what those things symbolize all the time. But I think it's pretty easy to look at some of those things and get an idea. And understand, when I look at these cities of refuge, I do see them as a picture of Jesus Christ. They remind me of Jesus Christ. Because think about this. Many people today are going through life. They've sinned. And they're not even aware of the fact that the wages of sin is death. A lot of people don't realize that, you know. I mean, I'd say probably most people in this country, they don't realize, even if they have some religious background, it's never been clearly presented to them that your sin is worthy of death. They, and, you know, and even if they've heard it said, they've never taken the time to actually stop, think about it, process it, and just be like, wait a minute. You know, th- this isn't good. 
Um, I just had a guy call me this week who saw uh, my the presentation I did at the end of the COVID land. He tried to call me at four in the morning. Yeah, and he called. He called like three. He called my wife's number. I don't know how he got that. He was calling us in the middle of the night, and uh, he he finally ended up leaving a message. And so when I got here in the morning, I decided I'd call him up. And uh, you know he he told me he watched that thing and it like upset him. He's like, you know, I, f- I felt like you were talking directly to me. And I was like, well, I don't know you. He's like, but you know, how do you know I'm a sinner? <laughs> I'm like, cause, you know, the Bible says not, and, and I don't know if this guy was a hundred percent there or not. He was, he, was kind, he was kind of a goofball, but he was just like, you know, and I asked, I said, why did you call me at four in the morning? He's like, cause I got scared. <laughs> and, I was, and I just, you know, and he kept talking about how, and he was like mad cause I scared, he said it scared him so bad. And I just told him, I was like, well, you should be scared. He's like, well, I don't, I don't know why you need to go telling people that. I said, because you actually are accountable to, a, to God for your sin and you're going to go to hell if you don't get cleansing because of it. And, and this guy wasn't getting the fact that he was, you know, guilty of sin. And, it got, and, and I, I gave him some scripture to read and I told, I, I told him, I said, go read the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, and call me back sometime. And if you're not, if you're still not convinced you're a sinner, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. But he was saying he wanted to get saved because, you know, he's like, well, you know, I, you know yeah, I want to get saved. I, you know, I don't want to have to go to hell or anything. He's like, but I, I don't think I'm a sinner. I don't think I deserve it. I was like, well, you got to get that down first. I was like, you got to, you got to, I mean, what's the point of getting saved if you don't even believe you need saving? You know, but, but either way, I said, I know this isn't, you know, a pleasant thing to find out, but it's just the facts. You know, you are a sinner and there are, there's a lot of people out there and here's what you're supposed to do when something happens. Okay. Even if you didn't, you know, most people didn't go out there intentionally saying, I'm going to sin against God. I'm going to offend a holy God to make him so mad that he'll throw me into hell. That's not what they did. They just were walking according to the course of this world. But you know what? Many people, when they find out that they've sinned against God and that there is judgment coming their way, that they're, I mean, that they're, that they're going to go to hell for what they've done. You know what they have the ability to do? Run to Jesus for refuge. And that's what I see in this situation. You know, because we've all said, and we've all done sins on purpose and stuff too. But at the end of the day, none of us just went into sin hoping to offend God. You know, it wasn't with this malicious intent. Intent, but when we found out. Once we realized, when it was, when it was, when we realized what we had done, thank God we had some place to go. We didn't have to just wait for the devil to come get us. We didn't have to wait for judgment to come. We had some place that we can run to. And so I, I believe what we're seeing here is a picture of Jesus Christ. Because all have sinned. We're all worthy of death. But we can all find refuge in Jesus Christ. And you know what? We'll be safe. Until the death of our high priest. And he's never going to die. He's never going to die again. And so we will always have refuge in Jesus Christ. And so I think that's just, uh, we see many things like that in the Old Testament. And I think that's what the cities of refuge are. And, and people need to do that. When people find out that they're a sinner and that what they've done is worthy of death and hell, they need to get to the, that city of refuge, Jesus Christ. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, wonderful example of salvation and a picture of, 
of you that we see in the Bible. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help every one of us to uh, do our part to uh, help make people aware of what they've done and the judgment that's coming for them. And I pray you'll help us to uh, direct them to you, to the city of refuge. And we thank you, Lord, that we do have a place where we can run, where we can hide, and we can be protected uh, and know that we, won't, we don't have to pay uh, that awful penalty for our sins. In your name we pray. Amen.